Well, hello, and welcome to the Speak Up podcast with Laura Camacho. I am a communication coach with our sponsoring company, Mixonian Institute. And Mixonian Institute is a company I started in 2009. And today, different kinds of people that work with me, but the ones that are co-facilitators, we work with culture fixing workshops. And of course, I do a lot of coaching. And today I'm introducing to you a leadership coach, keynote speaker, someone who has 10 years of leadership experience in the financial services. So she's been worked a lot with financial services and technology. She's a Myers-Briggs type indicator. Oh, so we'll get to talk about that. Her name is Kelly Thompson. She's from Omaha, Nebraska. And the funny thing is that Kelly and I ran into each other a few years ago when she was working with Cy Wakeman, who has something, I don't know if she's still teaching it, reality-based leadership. But anyway, welcome to the show, Kelly. And uh, Oh, thank you. We're so glad to have you here. I want you to tell me about how you came to be your transition. You're in financial services, like you were investing or banking, and how you came to be a leadership coach. Yeah. So I started my career in financial services back in 2002. I got my first job in banking as a teller. When I was a senior in college, yes, it was so fun. And I never thought I'd be in banking and I really liked it. As a college senior, I thought, well, this is a very nice, clean job, regular hours. And I felt like a, a professional, but I really did love the industry. And so then after college, I actually did a short stint in an investment firm and then spent the next 12 years at a regional bank here in Omaha. So at that bank, I was started in sales. My first job was calling and selling credit card processing over the phone. I made like 80 calls a day. I mean, it was like that true first job, right? You're going to get rid of all the fears of rejection when you're smiling and dialing. But (laughs) after that, I went into training and then I was in human resources and managed training teams, the bank for a long time. Training is has always been my love. And that's kind of the precursor of how I got into coaching. But I actually spent some time overseeing marketing as well. So after I'd been in banking for 12 years, I was ready for something a little more fast moving, a little less regulated. So then I went to go work for a healthcare technology company. So the link to Cy Wakeman is that Cy actually came in and taught leadership training for us at the bank. And then when I went to work for the technology company, I got certified to teach reality-based leadership. I was a certified facilitator. And then I was hopping on a plane one day. I was actually flying to go see a client because I was going to lead reality-based leadership at the client site. And who did I sit next to on the plane? Cy Wakeman. Oh my and gosh. It was just total fate. So she's like, would you ever come work for me? And like, I loved my job. I had no intention of leaving, but it's Cy Wakeman and I love right. her and she wore me down. And so I went to go work for Cy for three years and I traveled all over the country doing leadership training, consulting, and even more coaching. I really got tired of the travel though, Laura. It my daughter was getting older and being on the road a lot, as many road warriors know, it can get a little exhausting. And I just decided if I ever want to go out on my own and try this, and I want to make coaching and training, especially coaching women leaders, I had a real passion for that. If I, this is ever going to be an opportunity, now is the time. So I made a plan and I worked with Sai and worked my way out of reality-based leadership and then started my own leadership consulting practice in 2019. And the rest is history. So. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Well, let me ask you something, Kelly, because I know a lot of people listening to this are in the financial industry, some in investment and in the banking. So do you think that's a good industry for women to flourish professionally today? 
banking and financial services has always been a male-dominated industry. It just has been. And I can tell you from my experiences working in financial services, it was not uncommon for me to be one of the only women in the room. And it's not uncommon for women to look up at the C-suite and see all men. Now, not all investment banks are that way. In fact, a story that I often don't tell a lot of people was when I was in human resources at this local bank, we had hired in some leaders from a very large national bank who did value diversity and really are gender equity and inclusion leaders. And one of the things he worked with me on as his HR person was diversity. He flat out told me, he came in, he put resumes down on my desk and he said, do better. We need to have more diversity around here. And it's those types of leaders and organizations I think you're starting to see. I think banking knows that there's a call for diversity. Mm -hmm. Some are leading the charge Mm -hmm. and some are still working. Would I rule it out for women? No. But would I ask questions and investigate and take a deeper look to see if there's opportunities and if it's something that they're investing in, in, then, then absolutely. Thanks yes. for great places to work. So yes, that's interesting. Well, there's so many industries that have a lot of women at the bottom, but not at the top. But Correct. anyway, yeah. we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about things that you and I and our listening audience can do differently to get better results. And that's the great thing about communication is that it is really it both reflects you and it shapes you and it reflects your reality and it allows you to shape your reality. And there's one topic that I know that you talk a lot about and deal with, and I hear a lot from clients, is imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. So tell me, how do you define that? What are the symptoms? What's the treatment? What is your take on imposter syndrome? Yeah, people are talking about it a lot today. So to define imposter syndrome, this is a term that was coined in the 1970s by Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes. And they undertook a study. And what they found is that It was especially prominent in women, although it is not necessarily gender-based, but it is the feeling that despite your many qualifications, your certifications, you know, all of your work history, that you're going to be found out as not qualified, that all of your success thus far is just a result of luck. And you probably couldn't be successful anywhere else because once you get there, they're going to find out that you are just a fraud and a fake and like all of these things. It can also be the feeling that you don't really belong in the room. Sometimes there's actually been new research that shows imposter syndrome can tend to affect women and people of color more frequently. Why? Because they haven't typically seen themselves in the room. Mm -hmm. And so when I talk about imposter syndrome, I want to talk about it from like a both and perspective from two places. One, we just talked about banking. There are some systemic issues at play in organizations, I think that don't help the whole imposter syndrome dynamic. Mm -hmm. For instance, there are certain voices in the room that tend to get elevated and prioritized over others. And so therefore, people can feel like they don't belong. People can feel like their voice doesn't matter. People can feel like, well, you know what, no matter my qualifications or experience, I'm hitting a ceiling, right? I can only go so far. So I think there are systemic issues that organizations need to work to evolve to create an organization, like a place of psychological safety. So I don't want to overlook that piece. However, there are some personal things that we all need to work through that just come with being human. You know, somebody asked me once, like, who gets imposter syndrome? And I'm like, people. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I know. People get imposter syndrome because 
we all have an ego. We all, and that ego is just the thing that tries to keep us safe. It doesn't really like change a whole lot. Mm -hmm. It doesn't like to be stretched outside our comfort zone. And so when we are doing something new, like speaking up and using our voice for the first time in the meeting, when we are going for that big promotion and making a big career change, and it just feels so scary and nervous, you know, it can bring a lot of feelings of imposter syndrome. Like, oh, what if I found out? I'll tell you that after being single for a long time, I met my husband and I even felt a little bit of imposter syndrome with him too. I kind of had this thought in my head that like, you know what, what if we start dating and he finds out that I'm just not that cool? (laughs) That everything he thought I was this far is just made up. And so I just think that sometimes, and in fact, a phrase that I like to use, and maybe all of you listening will resonate with this, today's goals oftentimes become tomorrow's imposter syndrome. Because here we are setting these big, huge goals. Like I'm speaking at a women's leadership conference in October. It was a big goal for me to get back in front of a big stage and at a conference after COVID, it's been so long. And I know that with that goal, I'm going to need to plan about a week in advance. There's going to be some imposter syndrome that's going to be coming and hitting me pretty hard. So what do I need to be doing the week before, the day before, the day? And what are some of those rituals that I need to build in to make sure that I'm keeping my nerves in check, keeping my stomach in check, and keeping my confidence in check? So that's just kind of the simple overview of imposter syndrome in terms right. of, you know, why we get it, what happens. So Right. But I just see it as fear, just mm-hmm. a garden variety fear. I think that we don't need to elevate it so much. I feel sometimes with clients that they use imposter syndrome, like to justify not doing things. Uh-huh. And I tell them everybody's afraid when they don't have the skill, they don't have the practice, they don't have the habit of doing something. Don't make a bad situation worse. Don't make that fear more powerful in your life. But mm-hmm. it's an interesting name. I would say definitely the two people who came up with that was, I would call that marketing of fear because mm-hmm. it's just People have fear of public speaking, fear of speaking up in the meeting, fear of messing up. And anyway, that is part of being human and it is designed to keep us safe. It's uh, kind of hard to avoid. And I think that just women are probably more aware of their imposter syndrome or fear. So anyway, I was really curious to see what you thought about it because people talk about it. So if you feel like you have imposter syndrome, just... Stop it. Don't. Every, <laughs> so, yeah, and I mean, I'm happy to share some of the tips that I go through if you want to hear them. So oh, yeah. yeah. So one of the things that I notice, and maybe you all can notice is when I feel imposter syndrome, it's usually in my body first. So mm-hmm. for instance, I had a dear friend, she's actually a neuroscientist. So really smart people feel imposter syndrome. She had to give a big presentation yes. in front of all of her peers. And she calls me and she's like, Kelly, I cannot stay out of the bathroom. And so we're talking about this. And what we realized was she's like, I probably have a little imposter syndrome and I'm really scared and I'm really doubting myself. So the reason why I say that is I think sometimes we feel it in our bodies first, our neck gets tight, our stomach gets upset, we sweat, all of those symptoms. And I think sometimes it kind of shows up as that fight or flight response in our body. And one of the things you said is just because we have imposter syndrome, it is, it's fear. But it doesn't need to be an excuse that hold us back. A quote that I love is that it's not that confident people are fearless. It's that they have a healthy relationship with their fear. They can feel it and choose to do it anyway. So when I am feeling imposter syndrome, honestly, all I do is I just notice it without judgment. This my stomach turning, these butterflies, me pitting out right before I'm mm-hmm. going to speak in front right. of people. This is probably just my imposter syndrome. And I'm just going to notice it. I'm having this feeling because I'm human. It's part of the human condition. And then I just name it. 
Like there's my imposter monster again. (laughs) Sometimes just giving something a name just kind of helps you depersonalize it. Just notice it with a lot of compassion. I just give it a name. There's my imposter monster. And then I just normalize it. There's actually research that shows, you know, 70% of people feel imposter syndrome. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm really not that special. Even though my mom said I was really special, I'm really not that special. This is normal. And then I just reframe it. You know what? I'm feeling nervous because I'm accomplishing my goals. I'm feeling nervous because I want to do a great job. Mm -hmm. And my favorite one is I'm feeling nervous because this is what growth feels like. So I notice it. I name it. I normalize it. And I reframe it. And just going through some of that self-talk in the days before I'm giving a big presentation, before I have to walk into a big interview, before I have to share my idea, just helps it kind of depersonalize. And just sometimes when you name the fear, it gets a little right, bit less. Right. So. That's so funny. I think that the 70% of people feel imposter syndrome and the other 30% are sociopaths. So yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's what I tell people all the time. <laughs> is- if you never felt fear or any sort of like, you probably might be a sociopath and we're going to be having a whole other conversation. <laughs> right. And then it's always the reality that they're everywhere. These uh-huh. don't feel awareness, but this is not for you. If you're a sociopath, I don't think sociopaths tune in. No. To- <laughs> speak up. Why would they need to learn how to speak up? Oh, that's interesting. Well, you know, the thing about imposter syndrome and fear in general is that it can stop us from negotiating, right? And that's mm-hmm. such a hot topic. And that's another thing that I like to just knock it down to size. Negotiating is every day, like, would you pass the sugar? Can I have less? Can I have more coffee in my latte because this is too milky for me? Or <laughs> can I stay an extra night on this trip? because I wanted to have family there and I want to visit them. These small little negotiations we're doing all the time. So even people who say they don't know how to negotiate are negotiating. When you tell Mm -hmm. your kid you're going to eat your broccoli or else, that's negotiating. You're negotiating. Right. (laughs) What do you think it makes for good negotiating habit? Yeah. Well, and I think you just said it. When you're working to negotiate, I say the same thing. You're not going to walk into a gym pick up a 20 pound or 50 pound dumbbell and start ripping out some curls, right? Five of curls, unless you have been in the gym before. You start with five pounds and you work your way up and you just said it. I think it's practicing those small negotiations because that way say you need to make mistakes when the stakes are low because then when the stakes are high, you've got some repetition under your belt. And so if you're thinking about negotiating your salary, yes, negotiating with your child to eat broccoli is the negotiation. But I want you to start thinking about where and when can you practice with other adults? How can you negotiate a better table at a restaurant? How can you negotiate your cable bill? How can you negotiate? Maybe you have a coworker or a leader at work to which you have a higher comfort level. Before you go in and negotiate salary and you want to practice, find other situations that will help boost your confidence, like negotiating the time that you normally hold a meeting negotiating, hey, can I dial in on Zoom today instead of going into the office? So I love what you say. It's practicing those small negotiations before you get into the big negotiations. Right. I love those suggestions. Of course, I'm taking copious notes here. Uh, the cable bill, yeah, the cable companies and their bills. The cable bill. Yes. Better restaurant at the table. I always ask for water with no ice. I mean, it's just asking for things. Mm-hmm. 
and you just you just get used to it. It's just mm-hmm. like you said, building up that that muscle, not just starting with very heavy weights. So for those of you who don't know Cy Wakeman, she's also in Omaha, Nebraska, and she has a program called Reality Based Leadership. I don't know how I ran across Cy, but I did have a conversation with her. I really liked her approach. But one line that I use from her all the time is called work with the willing. Mm -hmm. I guess that's another way of saying you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Tell us what are you Sci-isms that you still use from your time with the reality-based leadership. Yeah. So work with the willing is like absolutely one of the ones I use all of the time because I led so many change management initiatives. And so for those of you who might be listening, thinking, ooh, I have to start calling people back to the office or you've called them and now you're thinking about transitioning them. You know, I think sometimes... Yo, man, I tell you what, there's lots of change. And so I think sometimes when we're thinking about how are we going to manage this change or how do we get input, but who's already excited? Who's already coming to us with ideas? Who's coming to us saying like, ooh, we could try it this way. We could try it that way. Like those are your willing. And I think sometimes when you get like the willing people on board first, Mm -hmm. it helps you better communicate the message because I don't know about you. It's like, we don't outgrow this from being a child, but I have a 16 year old daughter And she listens to her friends way more than she listens to me. And I think at work, we tend to look side to side and listen to our peers a little bit more than sometimes we listen to our boss. And so I think sometimes when you are the boss trying to lead this change effort all on your own, when you have other willing people doing it with you, not only does it reduce your chances for burnout, but more likely to stick because you have other people that are out there helping you lift the load. And we work with willing people, right? Like the people who, it doesn't mean that they're not voicing skepticism. I don't want to say that because I think that there's a place for that to say, Hey, we need to think about this. We need to think about that. Did you think about this? But it's people who are genuinely interested in helping you advance the effort. The other thing that I always used to love that Sai said is don't believe everything you think. And this is going into a lot of the mindset stuff, even with the imposter syndrome, our imposter monster, our inner critic will just run our thoughts like a ticker tape in our brain all day long. You're not qualified you're stupid. Nobody's going to like your idea. Don't say that. What will people think? You can't ask for a raise. You should just be grateful for what you have. If you ask, you're going to be a burden. You shouldn't have to ask, right? I mean, just the ticker tape just like goes over and over and (laughs) over again. And so I think one of the things that's really important is to know that you are not your thoughts and don't believe everything you think. Mm -hmm. Just because you think it doesn't actually make it true. So when I think about going in and asking for a raise. I love using this this idea and negotiating that. Well, I'm going to get clear on the facts first. I'm going to look and see what are like the the projects I've done in the last year that have helped the organization improve revenue, save money, increase customer loyalty, improve the employee experience and put those down. Like these are ways I actually make impact in the company. And this is how I contributed to that. This might be what this job is making in the marketplace. Here's the data that I have for this. Like LinkedIn is all over posting salaries right now. So it's a lot easier for us to compare. So when I can take in the facts and look at the evidence of what I've done, Dr. Earl Miller, he's a neuroscientist and he says facts ease fear. And I totally believe that. So I can take all these facts. I can take the evidence. I can take the data. And it really helps me stop believing everything I think and all the reasons why I shouldn't go in and ask for the raise or share my idea 
go for the job, whatever that looks like. So I love that. I love that. Get the facts first, building a case, but I think it's even more impactful to think, okay, get those facts and that can help you get over. People thought the world was flat. <laughs> Guess what? It's not. And, yeah. You know, of course you have build your case, find the facts about why you deserve that raise. So we are recording this in July of 2021. I'm talking to people all day. I know you are too. And the big topic is the policy about getting back to the office. So what are you hearing on the street? Like, is it true? Do you think that there's going to be continued people quitting their jobs and changing? What are you here out in Omaha? Yeah. So my clients are women leaders and actually they're all over the country. Some are here in Omaha, some are on the East and West coast, and I have some in Canada too. So I'm hearing the same thing. So I have a client working for one of the big banks and you could see me using quotation marks on the video, but, <laughs> and they are one of the big banks that's saying everybody back in the office, hundred percent mandatory. We've seen this in the news mm-hmm. and they're not excited about it. They are open to recruiters. They're talking to recruiters. They just don't want to go back to the office full time. A lot of people have found this groove. You know, even my husband who worked for in financial services and banking, he loves working from home Mondays and Fridays. He's got all of his clients on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. And he's found a lot of balance in that. I mean, he's just really happy. I have a lot of clients who are looking for remote only work. Yes, me too. Um, yes. Yeah. I have clients whose companies have called them back into a hybrid work environment, but they're pretty rigid around like the three days that they want them in. And they're like, I just don't love this. I really just (laughs) want to go back to either fully remote or going in on my terms. So I think the attitudes have shifted. And I do believe that if the people have the opportunity now to create the careers they want, COVID has caused them to evaluate everything they thought they wanted in the career what they thought they loved, what they thought they could tolerate. And it's just opened a lot of doors for a lot of reconsideration. So yeah, there's a lot of looking going on. Absolutely. I mean, I think that first of all, so many people, including myself, didn't think I could be productive at home. I thought, oh, I'll be wanting to clean the refrigerator and do laundry. Mm -hmm. Nope, (laughs) not tempting at all. I Mm -hmm. much prefer doing my work. And so many bosses, you know, remember back when negotiating for that working from home one day a week and let's try it as an Mm -hmm. experiment. And then certain managers or even more senior leaders saying, well, if I can't see my people, I don't feel Mm -hmm. like I'm being an effective leader. And all of that is just gone the window. And even I think this I see as a very positive change that the whole idea of family being part of who we are, kids sometimes interrupt a meeting. Sometimes there's a baby. I have a mother-in-law living here. I think everybody had extreme stress in the beginning Mm -hmm. about, oh my gosh, this meeting is going to be interrupted. But the reality is a lot of people feel like they're much better off. I had a leader once I was coaching and it was right when COVID was happening. We were just talking about it. And this person said, you know, I thought I knew my team. He goes, but I know my team's so much better now. You know why? Because when I'm sitting in a Zoom meeting, I can see all their trophies behind them. And I ask about them, what's that trophy for? 
I see their little kids running around in the background. Oh my gosh, you know, this is what your child looks like. You see pictures, you see family photos, you see hobbies. They're like, I know my people so much better now because I think of asking questions I never would have thought to ask about just the little things that you see in people's lives. And so that was just such a delight for him to feel like, I just feel like I know people better. And the other thing that people said was that it really kind of even took executives off a pedestal a little bit because you just see executives hanging out, you know, they probably got shorts on and a tie up top and their kids are running in the background. And you know, it just reminds us that we're all human. Right. Yes. I have to say, treat people like royalty, but treat royalty like people. And like everybody that is in a way an equalizer because everybody has their little rectangle on the zoom screen and short people, tall people, presidents, Anybody that's there's kind of mm-hmm. got the same amount of screen time. So that's you are so right. Great point. Well, it's gonna be super interesting, I think, to see what happens because you brought out something I hadn't thought about is that flexibility. Because there's what I'm hearing is that the companies are wanting people to come back for two or three days a week or two days one week and three days one week. But that autonomy, I think it's the autonomy that mm-hmm. I can decide when it's best for me to be in the office. Mm-hmm. I wonder, I don't think that companies can walk that back anymore. Yeah, it'll be a really interesting dynamic because a lot of people say, I grew up kind of in HR. And man, you know, when you're in HR, you do a lot of scrutiny to hire people. You take them through four or five interviews. Right. You, know, you look at their resume, you're vetting them. Sometimes you're giving them like capability assessments and all of the things and you're checking their references and you do so much scrutinizing to hire the right person. And then you bring them in and you don't trust them to make good decisions. Right, right, right. I work so hard to hire you. I need to also trust that you have adult autonomy until you prove me otherwise, right? And if you're proving me otherwise that you can't handle autonomy, we probably have other performance issues to work with besides autonomy. So I hear you on that. And do you have your deliverables clearly spelled out and our expectations Mm -hmm. set? So all kinds of things that we're seeing with working from home that we never imagined would be possible. What are the trends that you're seeing coming back to the new normal? Do you have any, are you changing anything that you tell your clients or in your leadership training? Like, are there any changes in leadership mm-hmm. because of the COVID coming out of that? I'm just curious. One of my clients, we were talking, we got the best metaphor and her mantra for coming back Mm -hmm. is taking myself off mute. One of the catchphrases of 2020 was you're on mute. In fact, I think when you and I opened this call today, you're on mute. Like if that isn't the phrase that defines 2020, you're on mute. I don't know what is. As we think about articulating our preferences, showing up as a leader, using our full talents, being unapologetic and really creating the career we want. I'm encouraging my clients to take themselves off of mute. And this is not just on the Zoom screen, right? Where you're gonna take yourself off a of mute, articulate what you want. But even when you get into the office or you wanna communicate what you want going back into the office, take yourself off mute. Really think about what has COVID taught me over the last year? What have I learned about myself? What have I learned about my values? And is my career in alignment with my values? And based on like, what do I know for sure about me? I call this authenticity. Mm-hmm. And what do I know about my values? I call this alignment. Then I ask themselves, okay, how are you going to get into action? And it's asking yourself the question, how am I acting on what's mine to do? 
based on what I've learned about me, what my values are and what I need to do so that I don't just sleepwalk into these changes. And so it's about like taking yourself off of mute. What do I need to say about what I've learned about hybrid work that I want? I had a call with a client today that really is an envisioning because COVID has changed her business, her company's mm-hmm. business. Mm-hmm. She's like, I have this great idea of how my business can create this new role and have all of these wins. And I'm like, take yourself off of mute. How are you going to create a plan to communicate what you think needs to be done in this role? Make a job description, talk about the benefits, take yourself off of mute and like articulate this. I think now more than ever, COVID has caused us to reevaluate everything, our jobs, how we do business. And now is a great time to remember to, as you're coming in, maybe in a hybrid way to keep yourself off of mute and ask for what you need and advocate for the changes that you want in your life and in your career. Right. So I know that we're getting to the end of our time for today. So I want to get before we end, you left corporate. Do you think, are you anticipating an exodus from the corporate world? I don't say I'm anticipating an exodus per se from corporate, do I have a hunch that there might be a mini exodus of job changers? Yes. And Mm -hmm. I've seen it with my own eyes and research shows, I believe that 51% of women are looking to change careers. However, now more than ever, I've had more women in corporate ask me, and I'm only speaking women because I don't talk, most of my clients are women, but I'm sure this reflects men too. More of them are just even asking themselves, is now the time to start my business? Is now the time to finally start that side hustle that I've always been dreamed about. Because again, they've learned so much. COVID's changed so much. And it's kind of like, if not now, then when? Then when? I actually do have corporate clients right now who are like, hey, I know that we're coaching me and we're talking about building leadership skills and confidence, (laughs) but can we also talk about this side hustle idea I have of starting a business? I never would have had the confidence before, but I feel like now is the right time. So you're right. I think that there's still, there's something that's changed internally in all of us that's caused us to wake up and really ask ourselves what's worth doing. What is our purpose? And like, now is the time to start investing in that. So yeah, I think we will see more of it. I have a whole other soapbox that said, you know what, if we had healthcare, Mm-hmm. like government healthcare, maybe like Canada or some of the other countries, you might see more people leaving corporate because I know a lot of women want to leave corporate, but they don't because they need the benefits. So mm-hmm. interesting That's to great. see what'll happen in the next five to 10 years. That's just my crystal ball. So yes, that is so interesting. But everybody listening, like take note, this is a huge opportunity because we learn things that we didn't know We didn't even want to learn in some cases. A lot of people just did not want to work from home and turned out most people actually like it. And even though some people miss socialization, especially um, people who live by themselves, I think that Mm -hmm. category of people do miss the office more than those of us who have families at home. But what is possible has expanded for each and every person listening to this. Yeah. So take note, think about your values, think about what you've learned, think about what you want, what's important to you. Take yourself off mute. In closing, Kelly, I would love it if you would tell the audience what are the kinds of situations that you help with and how people can get in touch with you. And if you have any last words, I'll let you share it with the world and then I'll tell everyone goodbye. Yeah, sure. So if you want to get in touch with me, I'm on social media at Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. My handle is at Kelly Ray Thompson. I'm Kelly with an I. I love LinkedIn and Instagram. You'll find me there the most. The way that I work primarily with women. So I'm a women's leadership coach and I help women lead with more confidence, 
And a lot of women I'm working with right now are making those brave career changes. And so about half the women that work with me privately are in career change or they've gotten promoted and just want to show up with more confidence. I run a group program for corporate women leaders twice a year. My next round starts in September. It's the Clarity and Confidence Women's Leadership Program. And we work on many of the same things in a group setting. It's all about showing up with more confidence, trusting yourself, taking your bravest next steps in your career. So that's primarily how I work with women. And I'm also a keynote speaker and a trainer. So organizations bring me in to host women's leadership and speaking events and or do webinars for their employee resource groups. And so that's kind of how I spend my day every day. You know, one of the bottom lines that I give a lot of folks at the end of my presentations is, you know, when you're thinking about taking yourself off of mute and should I share this idea? Should I start that business? Should I make this career change? Should I really do this? I always just, this is advice I took for myself. You know what? Somebody is counting on your unique calling. Like they're just waiting for you to share that idea. It's going to change the way they run their business. They're waiting for you to step up and say, I want to take this project because you know what? you're going to make their life easier because you're sharing your talents. There's just so much that we have to offer. And I think sometimes we just stay silent for all of these fears. And so we can get the confidence to take ourselves off of mute. I think that's how we really can offer our gifts to the world and, and make changes. So, Well, thank you, Kelly Thompson, for telling us, reminding us to get off of mute, everybody. <laughs> all right. So we are going to wrap this up. Thank you all for listening. If you want to see more Mixonian Institute goodness, remember the website is www.amazonmary, I-X-O-N-I-A-N. And we will see you on the next episode. Bye-bye.